Welcome to another episode of My Hope is Built On with your hosts, David and Dan Ziegler, a show about real people with real stories answering the question, what is your hope built on? May this week's episode bring you some hope. Well, welcome again to another episode of My Hope is Built On. And again, I have, uh, you know, I, I think every week I got an amazing guest, Daryl, you know, and it's because everybody comes from a different perspective of life. Everybody's gone through their own unique challenges. Everybody's gone through their own journeys. And even as I was just talking to you earlier, I, you know, I just looked at your career and I looked at your past and I just saw the, the amazing seasons of life that you've gone through as well. And I just, you know, I was really impressed with your background, Daryl. So Ladies and gentlemen, this is Daryl Williams. And Daryl, why don't you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, and, a, and your background? Sure. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, definitely glad to be here. Uh, a little bit about me. I grew up in Compton, California. Um, so for those that may not be familiar with it, right, there's a movie came out called Boys in the Hood, <laughs> right? That was the culture that I grew up in. And at that time, Compton was the fourth most dangerous city in America. Um, I have two younger brothers and a younger sister. Uh, they're about three, six, seven years behind me. So they grew up during the time of straight out of Compton, right? So definitely a different type of culture. Yeah. Uh, I talked to a lot of people out here in the D.C. area and they're asking me like, man, did they add anything to those movies? I'm like, nope, everything they said is pretty much how it was. <laughs> no need to add anything. So they're like, wow, what an interesting background to come from, you know? And for me, you know, dealing with the theme of this show, you know, my hope is built on, you know, I had to figure out, right, in high school, you know, what was I going to do with my life, right? And how was I going to get there? I, I knew there was something bigger than uh, Compton and L.A. Didn't know how I was going to get there. So fortunately for me, I grew up um, in a faith-based home. My mom um, definitely instilled faith in us. My dad um, he didn't go to church as much, but he still respected, you know, God and things of that nature. But it was always funny. We we're talking about football, right? I just yeah. remember the 10 o'clock games, right? And we would go to Sunday school at 10 o'clock. I remember my father on the couch. I'm like, you know, why did he get to watch the game? And <laughs> I have to go to Sunday school at the church, you know? And it was one of those, you know, do what I say, not as I do type of thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, just getting used to that. But I, definitely my mom uh, really helped um, putting that um, – faith in me early on, which allowed me to um, have that anchor because, again, going into the military, uh, there's a lot of things that happen, a lot of challenges. Uh, I have some very great assignments, not like the typical uh, military member, but even in those types of assignments we'll talk about, there's always storms or different seasons, as you say, that uh, come in your life and you still got to perform and yeah. you still got to take care of your team and you know, be that example. So I was just very fortunate for me. I joined the military uh, right out of Compton and uh, spent 20 years in the in the Army, uh, had assignments in uh, Germany, a lot of them in the D.C. area, uh, Korea, and then back to the D.C. area and um, retired after 20 years in the Army. And then from there, worked um, as a contractor supporting the government and then eventually worked uh, back into the government, but still taking care of um, military service members just from a different perspective. Hmm. And in the midst of all of that, I uh, started a speaking bit, local speaking business, uh, certified uh, as a master certified life coach, certified facilitator, 
Um, eventually used to work with youth. So became a youth worker, then a youth minister and youth pastor. Right now I'm an associate pastor at a church and my wife and I both uh, lead the couples ministry. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really good. Like I said, it's just amazing. And, and also just, again, thank you for your service to our country too. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I appreciate Loved that. Um, well, Daryl, you know, I already told you, but you know, when you think of hope, what does hope mean to you? So when I think of hope, Dan, what it means to me is regardless of what situation you're going through, right? There's just that thought, right? That knowing, even in the midst of the unknown, that things are going to get better. Mm. And that's always been um, one of the things I live off of. And it's just so interesting, right? When you, you can make that a part of who you are, right? You know, in the military, you make a lot of different friends and sometimes you don't see each other for a long time. And then when you come back, right, you just pick up on that last conversation. Yep. Yep. And, and Dan, I'll never forget one of my best friends, Mark Alley, very sharp guy. Um, probably hadn't seen him in like 10, 15 years. I just happened to see him at um, this agency uh, that I worked for. He was over there visiting. And the first thing he said out of 15 years, hey, what do you know? the most um, optimistic man in the world. How's everything going? <laughs> right. And just for him to say that, right. God, I just remember a conversation you used to have. He's like, gosh, man, you just never, you know, have a bad day. It's like, no, I have bad days. I just choose to deal with them a little bit differently. Hmm. But no, just for him to say, you know, oh, look who it is, the most optimistic man in the world. I just thought that was a great compliment. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great testament. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, and I think, and, and that's funny is, you know, it's it, what you just said is so simple yet so profound because again, you know, we can see in light at the end of the tunnel is very, very difficult. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so when you said that, you know, it's like, wow, that seems so simple yet for a lot of people, that's so difficult to navigate. Right. I mean, just even see that. And so, uh, yeah, when, so my, my question then would be after that is just, um, well, what is your hope built on then? And how have you managed these challenges and navigate life? I mean, I know you, you got that hope and that optimism that something good, but how do you persevere? Because I'm sure you've gone through some challenges. No, that's a great question. So for me and a lot of the people that know me, it's so interesting. You know, my hope is definitely built on my faith. Mm. Right. I mean, it was one thing to go to church and, you know, your mom make you go. But, you know, once you're in the army, you don't have to go anymore. And it's like, oh, OK, I can go to the club. I can go this. But I found myself still going to the church because it was just, you know, I just found that solace. And for me, especially when I was a youth minister, I used to tell the kids, it's, you know, it's not about, you know, things that I can't do. It's about things that I can do better. Mm. Right making better decisions, right? Doing things that's not going to just help me, but help those around me. And so my faith has carried me a long way. And one thing I'm proud of, you know, sometimes the world kind of gets distorted when it comes to, and they meet, you know, person of faith, whether a Catholic, Christian, or whatever the case is. And sometimes they always think that you're going to try to change them or try to convert them into something. And I just made it a point throughout my life that, 
you know, unless you ask me about something particular to help you in a situation, um, I'm just going to live my faith in front of you. Yeah. Right. You will see the decisions that I make and how I make those decisions and how I handle adverse situations. And it never failed. People mm-hmm. would eventually come and say, hey, I appreciate, you know, your words during that time. I appreciate, you know, you coming over and asking about me and my family. And it wasn't until later, you know, they say something, Dan, like, just curious, are you a Christian or something? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, sure I am. And they would go, but why didn't you say it? And I love when they ask me that because I tell them because I don't, I shouldn't have to say it. Yeah. Right. You should see something different by the way I live. And I hope that the way I live is a way that can help inspire others. Yeah. I, and, you know, it's funny you said that. I love that. Live your faith. You know what? I mean, mm-hmm. And, you know, our faith teaches us that if, that if we, they'll know who we are by our yes. love. Yes. <laughs> you know, which tells me that I don't have to do anything in a, in a boisterous way. It's about mm-hmm. how I live my life. And like you said, it's living your faith. And when people see that, it's more authentic than going around puffing your chest and pounding on it saying, this is who I am, you know? So, so true. Uh, yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, you know, I know that, you know, c- coming out of Compton in, I, and listen, I'm familiar with the Compton area, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll still never forget. I used sold mobile cell phones. And when they first came out, it was like, you know, the, the like the bricks, you know, right. Was, right. And um, I had my first deal was with a, with a mom in Compton, and I had to go down there and d- deliver it. And they looked at me like I was the strangest guy for even doing what I was doing. You know? sure. and for me, I was just thinking, hey, you ordered it. I'm here to deliver it. You know, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, but uh, how did you persevere? I mean, because I know you could have get sucked into going down the path that would have led you into, you know, the gangs and everything that was going on mm-hmm. in that area. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, I know your mom was one that helped instill that, but you know, you, how did you rise above that though? I mean, because the pressure was always there. It definitely was Dan. And I think for me, and I always tell anybody, uh, regardless of where you are in your life, it's always good to have two things, mentors and accountability partners. Mm. I can look throughout every season in my life and I can point exactly to uh, whether it was times that were not so good and times that were good, both of them revolved around having a mentor in my life that I could turn to and then having accountability partners that were able to check up in, check up on me and, you know, make sure that I was walking whatever path that I told them that I wanted to walk. Right. Yeah. And even in high school, right. It was a group of us um, from the neighborhood and about out of, you know, seven of us, you know, um, one of us went to college, one of us went to the military, uh, the other ones got some, you know, really good, cool jobs, you know, in California. But again, those, they were my original accountability partners. It was like, you know, we all kind of determined, okay, we're not going to take this path. We're going to support each other, right? We see somebody going too much to the left, we're like, hey, hey get back over here, right? Yeah, yeah. So, the, so the accountability partners helped me out definitely throughout Compton. And then the mentors, uh, two people, actually three outside of my mom and dad, uh, there was a deacon at my church, Deacon Walter Staten, right? Mm-hmm. May rest in peace. 
uh, just a great man of faith, right? And what I loved about him was he used to teach this adult Bible study and I would go with my mom just, you know, for safety reasons, right? Yeah. And as I was sitting in there, you know, he was like, you know, do you actually want to be a part of it? And I'm like, uh, no, nah, this is for the adults, right? He's like, doesn't matter. We can make it <laughs> for you too. And Dan, Tim, that was the biggest thing for me. Like, here's this guy to me. He was like a giant, right, yeah. in church, right? And he was tailor his Bible study to make sure that even I, as a young middle schooler, right, when even a teenager, middle schooler, would be able to understand it. So I just thought the world of this guy, like, man, he's making it seem so practical like it wasn't this old story from you know a long time ago it was like this is what happened this is how it applies today and here's some similarities and i was just in awe with that like yeah, wow yeah. he's really making it where i can see why it would be good to have faith right it would be good to treat people right a certain way and things of that nature so he was that first mentor and then two other ones i had I had two older cousins and um again just great um, guys, uh, actually, neither one of them were really people of faith, but just the way they carried themselves, right? Just really solid citizens and uh, would always, you know, ask me deep questions that I wasn't ready for in high school, right? They said, what are you going to do when you grow up? Like, I don't know. I'm only in the 10th <laughs> grade. But they were always prompt me because they wanted me to think ahead, you know, and whatever that goal is. Now back it up. What are those steps that's going to get you to that goal? And you know, to this day, I always tell them any success I had uh, is definitely tied to both of them. And they're so funny. They'll say, "No, you got you giving us a little bit too much credit." Like, no, I'm not. <laughs> you guys showed me what could happen. And especially, like you said, growing up in Compton, right? To see, you know, somebody that was successful, you know, that looked like me, a little bit older than me, but was doing it uh, a different way. And yep. I just, to me, I just thought that that meant a lot. Yeah, no, no. And I think that's awesome because, uh, and that is such a big deal. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever grow out of mentorship and accountability? Never. <laughs> uh, to this day, everybody that knows me, they were like, okay, where's my next mentor session? Or yeah. yep. are you going to ask me about my accountability partner? Because they know that it's not just words, but, you know, it's really a lifestyle if you want it to be. And I always tell people, you know, because a lot of them keep thinking like, well, obviously you're going to be my mentor, right? Like, nope, I'm going to put you around other people, mm -hmm. right? Depending on where you are in your career, right? I'll introduce you to somebody. And if you think it's a good fit, it's great. If not, we'll look for somebody else. So I definitely live by mentors, accountability partners um, yeah. all the time. Yeah. And I think it's a even more so critical for uh, uh, women seem to catch that earlier. Men don't seem to catch it as much. Uh, and I think it's a pride thing, clearly. Uh, yep. um, but, you know, and that's one area where, I, again, even as a man, I know I need that. I, if I don't have that, you know, then, you know, I'm prone to wander is what the, <laughs> and that's so, a fact. Yeah, and, and so you need that, you know. So true. So true. And like I tell people, you know, prove me wrong, but I tell them 20 years in the military, 30 years in the government. Um, I've never seen anyone that did not have a mentor or an accountability partner not become successful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. That's so cool. So talk to me a little bit more, some of the challenges you faced, because uh, again, I, you know, Compton's a 
goes back, but you've had some things through life. You've, like I said, you've, you've been, you've served in the military. You, you've, you've served in our government you've served, you know, uh, so talk to me about some of those other challenges. So I would say some of the earlier challenges was, especially even though I was in the military, I was still, I was trying to give back. Right. So mm-hmm. I remember um, when I got assigned to the DC area and, I was, at that time, I was just a youth worker. I wasn't you know, looking to go into ministry or anything like that. But I just had this passion of really wanting to connect with young people, right? Wanting to help steer them the right way, not tell them what to do, but to help them become better decision makers. And that's one thing, um, always learning from other people, right? So I would go to kids and like, hey, you know, what is it that you don't like about grownups, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're brutally honest, right? They're like, Ah, oh, they act like we don't know what we're doing. They act like they were born perfect. They act like they don't remember the mistakes they made. And I just took all of that into like, that's the type of youth work I want to be. I want to be the opposite of what they're saying. Yeah. So, so some of the earlier challenges was going against these, you know, stereotypes and cultures of what the youth saw in front of them and to try to get them to see it in a different way, to see that, hey, there's more than your neighborhood. It's mm. more than this community. And um, it was just a good challenge because now, you know, they're like, well, you're only saying that because, you know, you were in the military. I'm like, no, I grew up in Compton. No way. How'd you get out of there? Right. So now you get their attention and then you go back to the original. Well, how did I get out of there? I made better decisions. I surrounded myself around certain people. I was anchored in a faith, right? My faith. So no, not telling them what to do, but just trying to, let them see that there's other things out there. So some of the earlier challenges definitely was how do you help these young people, right? Become better decision makers without telling them what to do, without, you know, standing in place with their parents, you know, things like that, but walking beside them and their parents mm-hmm. right, to help them approach that goal. So being a youth worker and eventually a youth minister was definitely a huge challenge. And then in the military's, obviously the biggest challenge is leading other people. Yeah. Right. What people don't realize is in the military, you know, you have regular people that have regular problems, right? You have, you know, your son not acting right, your daughter not wanting to listen to you. (laughs) And yet you still got to come to work and I, you know, 730 or eight, whatever it is, you know, after you've done your physical training and all that, now you got to do this job. Yeah. But yet you still have all this um, heaviness on you because you know, things aren't right at the home. So some of my other challenges, you know, was how do I help my team, you know, maneuver through their personal challenges? Because, you know, as any leader, whether you're in the military or not, people need to know that you care about them, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not just the what you can do for me. Like, Dan, you work for me, you know, keep your problems at the door. You just come in here and give me eight good hours of whatever. It's like, no, a good leader is. Hey, Dan, I noticed you're not smiling as much. You know, what's, yeah. if, if you want to talk, I'm available, right? And just making yourself, you know, a willing vessel to, you know, be a listener. Like sometimes, you know, especially, man, we're so terrible at this, Dan. We always want to solve problems and fix this. And sometimes people just need a listening ear, right? So just being that listening ear, I learned to do that a lot. And it helped those that I led. Uh, become better versions of themselves and allow them to see different ways. I never would tell anybody what to do, yeah. but you would just ask those right questions. Well, what if you did do this, right? What would that lead to? Um, what if you talk to your daughter in this particular way? And, um, 
well, what could that do? And just allowing them to come up with their own answers, right? It was yeah. just uh, a fabulous thing. And then personally, right, uh, my wife and I, we got married um, a lot older. We we're like 32 years old. And the first time we tried to have children, right, um, suffered not just one, but two miscarriages. Wow. So I always tell people, you know, I don't just say this stuff because nothing's ever happened in my life. I say yeah. this because of the things that did happen, that same thing that I was living in front of you, I had to experience it and like, okay, you've been giving everybody else um, a drink of this. Now you need to drink from the Kool-Aid and let me t- <laughs> you tell me how it tastes and how yep. it's going to help you. And I'll tell you, man, that was definitely huge because you mentioned earlier about men and pride, right? It's not a lot of conversation, right, when there's a miscarriage amongst the husbands. No. Right? The women, they'll talk, right? They'll share, they'll cry, they'll do whatever it is. But as men, right, we try to like, hey, suck it up, drive on, right? Yeah. Be there for your wife, right? But it's like, but who's there for you? Yep. And that's when I really found that, you know, what... Uh, my life was built on uh, my faith really was tested because like anybody, you know, you do question God, like, Hey, I understand the first one, right. You need me to be a modern day Job. I got it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But then when the second one hits, it's like, okay, now you need to really tell me what's going on here. Yeah. Right. How, you know, what, what lesson am I supposed to learn from? I know it's a lesson there. I'm not feeling that lesson right now. I don't even see it. Yeah, I'm not going to give up on you because I know you're still there for me, but I just need some help and some guidance because I'm going through a tough time and my wife is going through at the same time. So think about that, Dan. Your best friend is going through the same challenge you're going through. Yeah, 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 it, uh, it is tough. Yeah, I've, I know I've, I've experienced some similar stuff as well. And, uh, and, and it is, it's one of those, it is a, you know, it is a very challenging thing for you to kind of go through. And then, like you said, not being able to have an avenue to even share that sometimes, because again, how do I share this? I don't want to get emotional from somebody, you know, I don't want to break down and and I want to be strong for my wife, you know, and all that stuff. And so, uh, yeah, I get it. It, You know, you, you, you've, you've touched on a lot of, a lot of good stuff and, um, you know, especially as, it relates to generations and mm-hmm. you're dealing with the, the various generations. And I'm, I'm a firm believer the same way you are. It's, it's not about telling them what to do with their life. It's because it is, they, they feel that's all we do is we look down and, and it's, and it's, it's a generational curse. It's happened yes. over multiple generations, right? We, yes. we just keep repeating this generational curse of criticizing the next generation. <laughs> oh, true. So true. <laughs> you know? And so it's like, when, you know, we're stopping the cycle and saying, Hey, listen, you know, you got value to bring to this world. Talk to me about what you want to do about it, you know? And, uh, and so I think that, you know, and that's powerful in and of itself. I I'm a firm believer that people are not already have the answers within themselves. Yes. Right. They already know, they know they made a bad choice. I don't need to point that out to them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Show some grace. <laughs> so it's not, it, let's not compound more, you know, more misery on top of that, not more condemnation, making them feel more guilty about that choice. Let's talk about what we're going to do to move on and how we're going to prevent those choices from happening again. And, and that's, that's the action plan, you know? And, yes. 
you know, and again, like you said, is pouring into that next generation and giving them the confidence that they need to fail forward. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and know that somebody's there to be along their side when they do, I'm going to be here and we're going to walk together through that. And I go, what a powerful thing. And I, I know, and, you know, I've just repeated everything you said, but just in, in no, no, you're right. <laughs> it's just, but it is, and I, and I love that. And I think right now that is such a needed thing. Uh, I do leadership coaching as well. And awesome. And so one of the things I do is I'll go in and I talk to these leaders who actually would say, I don't get these millennials. I don't get these ears, you know, mm-hmm. and I go, you see what you're doing. You're already labeling them. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, I, and, and we continue to put labels on everything as our death, as our uh, reasoning for our actions. It's our excuse. And, and it's not a good excuse. It's actually, it's a poor excuse and it's a lazy excuse because you're not wanting to put forth the effort to actually get to understand that point of view. And you're exactly right. And I think sometimes, like you said, if we can pause enough, we can really look at, I call them opportunities, right? Because you always hear people say, oh, you know, this young, younger generation, they don't want to hear us. Like, oh, that's actually not true. Yeah. They want they want to hear us when we engage them in conversation. They don't want to hear us when we're trying to, like you said, tell them, you know, that you know, back in my day, we used to do this and do that. It's like who you know, when you were little, you didn't want to hear that. So, like you said, why are you repeating those steps? Right? Find a different way to talk to them because again, if you look at it from an opportunity perspective, you actually have a chance to help them to build their hope in something that they may have never even thought about, whether it's hope in decision-making, hope in making uh, right choices, hope in how to deal with adversity, how to overcome situations where you felt like you were abandoned. Because that's the key with a lot of young people. They feel like we as adults, right? We're the ones that messed them up. Right. We made yep. selfish decisions about getting divorced. We made selfish decisions about I'm trying to hurt her. So I'm going to take the kids, even though I know I don't have time to keep take care of them. Yep. Right. Um, I told my son and my daughter that, yeah, dad's going to uh, spend some time with you. But yet we let work and all these other um, priorities get in the way of these beautiful moments that we could have been sharing with our kids. So now it's like, well, I can't trust an adult because my dad, Darrell, wasn't there in my life. So why should I trust an adult? So we, as these leaders, we get to rebuild that trust in them. We get to give them new hope and new foundation. And that's what's so great about kids. And they're so resilient that if you're honest and sincere with it and are really going to, you know, put in the time to walk with them, uh, you can really change your life. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Yeah. I, and I just, uh, it's so powerful with what you're saying, because I think it's, like I said, we're at such a time right now where it it needs to happen. And, um, and again, that's not a criticism of the generation. One of the things my my, uh, family always asks me, dad, why do you always I'll listen to something on a, you know, I'll listen to a post of a, or a TikTok or all. And I go, why do you even do that? I go, because if you listen to what they're saying, they're mm-hmm. actually 
saying something deeper than what they're saying on this surface. Absolutely. They're saying something deeper and you have to listen though, to hear what they're really saying. And it's coming from a place of brokenness. What it is. Yes. I don't know, but it's a place of brokenness. And if we took the time to understand that we'd be able to actually, like you said, begin to bring some hope into their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. Yeah. So good. I, I'm, I'm really excited talking to you, Daryl, getting me amped up here. Now we're going to start no. a sermon in a few minutes here. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. This is a great conversation. Yeah, no, no. So, so you got an opportunity to serve and you, you served on a couple of presidents. I saw some pictures mm-hmm. with some talk to us a little bit about that. And uh, how did you get there? And because, you know, for me, that's, again, that's part of that faith journey, living your faith, you know, mm-hmm. And I know that had to have got you to those places. Without a doubt. Um, So when I was assigned to, when I left Germany, I got assigned to the Pentagon. And um, I was there for a couple of years. And the funny thing was, I didn't like it, right? Because it wasn't the normal army that I was taught to, you know, be and be a part of. So I always thought it was like a soft assignment. Like, oh man, this time is going to make me soft. I need to get out of here, <laughs> get back to, you know, Fort Hood, Texas or Fort Bragg, North Carolina. But again, man, it's amazing how, like you said, your faith journey it can take you to places where you have no idea that you can go. And that's definitely what happened with me. I saw an ad, one of my friends, uh, they were advertising about recruiting uh, for the White House Communications Agency, right? This whole agency didn't even know anything about was looking for service members, right? Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. And if you had a particular job skill, right? They would look for that job skill and bring you through these uh, questions and security background and all these things. And um, if you were fortunate, you would get selected. So I was selected back in 1990 right, uh, serve with the White Communications Agency, which is, again, so communications agency made up of uh, military members who support the president, vice president, first lady, secret service, White House staff, and others as directed. Mm. And just a phenomenal job. A lot of pressure, too, yeah. um, but definitely a phenomenal job. So when I first got there, uh, I went in the military, the military HR, but so in that agency, you have two jobs. You have a regular job that you do day to day, and then you have this travel job. So every time you see you know, the president on TV or whatever, you know everybody sees him, but not realizing there's a whole machine behind that. Yeah. And one part of that machine is that communications piece where uh, America's sons and daughters are providing that support. And it was definitely, when I got there, um, George Herbert Walker Bush was the president. And, you know, definitely starry eyed. It's like, holy smokes, you know, what am I (laughs) about to get into? And you talking about prayer. I'm telling you, I prayed probably way more um, there than I ever did because one, I didn't want to make a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I didn't want to make my family look bad. I didn't want the army to look bad. Yeah. So it was like, okay, Lord, I need you to help me in every assignment, every trip that I go on. I need your guidance. Right. Um, I prayed over all of my team members every time we got ready to go. It was like, whether they knew it or not, it was like, Lord, whoever has any challenges, you know, help them to compartmentalize what they can. And those that can't allow them to have a conversation, not just with me, but any other leader that they can Mm. feel better. And um, it was great because I was able to bring not 
the faith aspect of, again, telling people what I am, but the principle of faith and living it in front of them. So when I would conversate with somebody, they never knew, Dan, that I was, you know, relating the story from the Bible. You know, yep. I was like, yep. oh, man, I remember the story about this guy that was called to do something big and didn't think that he could speak well. Right. And yep. it's yep. like, I can't, I, I can't even do this. And the person that picked him said, well, what's in your hand? He's like, well, it's just a staff. Right. Yeah. And then I would try to get to the summary of the story. Sometimes what we have in our hand is we look at it as one thing, but it really can be something bigger and greater. But we just had to figure that part out. Yeah. And they were like, well, how do I figure that out? Like, well, no, that's that's your part of the journey. Mine is just to tell you the story and get you going in that direction. Yeah. And uh, so it was just great to be able to, again, work under the Bush administration and leading people. And then after that, Clinton came over and took over and still traveling, still doing all this neat uh, support. And it was just, again, an awesome experience because now... I used to tell people, you know, I'm living my faith, right, at the highest level, right? So now it's like more that state. Because here's another thing I used to look at, too. If I mess up, if I'm not at my best, what if somebody came to me, Dan, and said, wow, for a guy that has a lot of faith, you know, you sure are a pretty sorry leader, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) So it was like, even on a higher pedestal, it was like, okay, you know, show me what you would do now, right? yeah. And I just took that as, you know, an additional challenge. Like, you know, you, you know, I'm not doing my job, you know, for the president. I'm not doing it for the vice president. I'm doing it as if I'm doing it unto the Lord. Mm. Right. Never told them that, but that was just my mindset. Yeah. And um, it was just great because, again, I had an opportunity to live out my faith and what my hope was built on, you know, in front of people, in front of different with different challenges um as you know history was being made right so i always look back on that and then um i worked uh, for six years right for the white house and i got a little antsy just wanted to do something different uh called my branch manager it's like hey man i want to go overseas do a you know we call a short tour right just right, a one-year right. tour you can send me anywhere you want and Dan, the first thing he said was, oh, geez, what's wrong? What type of trouble did you get yeah, into? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, nope, nope. I'm at the top of my game. Um, I'm, I'm all is good. I just want to get my boots dirty again, right? So he sent me to Korea. And what was so great about this assignment, right, was it was a one-year tour. And he was like, well, you do me a favor, I'll do you a favor. I'm going to send you to Korea, right? Because like every time I put people in this career, they retire on me. I got to fill this position, right? Right. And I was like, nope, I'm not going to retire on you. I'm, I'm good. I still got a good seven years left, you know? And um, so he said, I'll send you to Korea. And then he said, I'll bring you back. And I'm like, cool. Yes, you don't have to do that. He said, no, 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 I won't do it. But here's the great thing about Korea, right? I'm leading these, again, younger generation of military members. Right. In Korea, they have these Korean soldiers that also work with us called Katusas. So now I'm mentoring uh, young American soldiers. I'm mentoring Korean soldiers, right? And how about they have these churches there on the base, Mm. right? And one of the churches, uh, South Post Chapel, right? There's military members that, you know, if you bring your family, it's a two-year assignment. So now you got these kids here going to school, and then on Sundays, they're coming to church. Wow. So the cool thing about what my hope was built on, it was like, okay, you work with youth, 
right? You're trying to help these kids in the States. Why don't you do it here while you're overseas? Yeah. And it's like, ah, I'm only going to tell myself this. Well, I'm only going to be here for a year. You know, is that really fair to them? And, you know, the Lord spoke to me. He was like, I didn't ask you how long you were going to be here. I just asked you, are you still following me? Mm. And I was like, got it. So I started ordering this curriculum, talking to the chaplain over there. I was like, hey, you know, I'm a youth worker. I used to work with youth. If you want, you know, I can teach a Bible study. I can teach a Sunday school. And they was like, say no more. You're it. Tag. (laughs) (laughs) Go forth and do good things. Yeah. And it was a great time, Dan, because not only was I doing right a regular military job during the day, but you know, I'm putting you know Bible study curriculum together and you know found a book that I thought was pretty good. I think it was David C. Cook Ministries or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Ordered it and I was like, well, you know, we don't really have a lot of kids. So how about I just teach the middle schoolers and the high school together and I'll teach them at the high school level? And it was great because now I'm dealing with these kids that's not in the United States, but yet again helping them figure out what is their hope built on. And that pride started kicking in, Dan, because it was like, hey, I'm putting together this great material and I'm only getting two kids. Mm. I'm only getting five kids. And I almost quit because my pride was like looking at the numbers instead of looking at the lives that are being impacted. Right, yeah. And again, um, I had to go back to what is my hope built on? Are you Mm. built on faith and helping people or are you built on trying to get a name for yourself right, right, right. and uh, trying to you know come up with this crowd of kids so you can say oh look at me and once I you know really like ate that humble pie it was like you know I made a uh, decision that day it's like I don't care if I got one kid or 21 kids I'm going to teach this lesson like the whole class is full yeah. yeah and the amazing thing about it Dan was they started telling their friends they're like, hey, man, you got to come to Sunday school, man. We got this crazy guy from Compton and man, he's breaking the Bible down in this different way. I don't even know if it's true or not, but it's definitely (laughs) entertaining. (laughs) And uh, it was a lot of fun. And um, just was, I mean, it just touched my own soul, right? It wasn't just the assignment, but it was like, God showed me that, hey, if you, again, keep your eye on me, Hmm. you can do ministry anywhere and be effective and make a difference. Um, so that was great for me. And then I came back to the White House and then again, started working with youth. And that time now supporting um, Vice President Gore. And then eventually I started supporting Vice President Cheney. And again, you know, now I'm flying on Air Force Two, right? Because after 9-11, you know, we did some shifts and created these uh, different teams to support emergency action stuff. So now like, okay, flying on Air Force Two, Lord, I'm going to need extra prayer <laughs> because now it's not this whole team, but it's me being the lead for the comp side. And again, Dan, I would pray for, you know, the the young guy that was with me on the plane as my assistant. Uh, I'd pray for the team that I was going into because I was kind of like a command rep. Like I would show up and kind of oversee, you know, as everything were going. But I never took that as, you know, like you said, you know, the big head, right? People would be like, oh, let me carry your bags, Mr. Yeah, yeah, Williams. Yeah, like, yeah. no, no, I can carry my own bags, guys. Trust me. The only difference between me and you is opportunity. You could easily be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I just want to make sure that as I'm doing this, right, I'm not letting the power go to my head. Mm. And a lot of that was because of my faith, right? What my hope was built on was not enough 
to uh, make me forget why I'm here. Because it would, yeah. it, Dan, it was never about me. It was like, if he allowed me to be in these positions, it has to be a reason other than supporting the president, vice president. Yeah. And it's up to me to find that meaning, find that person, right, that individual I need to lead, and, and have that listening ear ready, not to go out and try to tell people what to do, yeah. but just have that listening ear. And so is that what's taking you to kind of this next journey of your life? You retire out of the military and you decide to say, hey, listen, I'm going to now just pour into the lives of, uh, of, of young folks and, and, and really just begin to be a mentor in, these, in the lives of these people. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And then I ended up becoming, like I said, a youth minister and a youth pastor. And uh, so far, I always go to my pastor and say, hey, whatever you need, right? That's what I'm here for, right? I have yeah. a lot of gifts. I know that I have gifts. I know that I'm not called to be a pastor. So you don't have to worry about me starting my own church because that is yeah. not what I've been called to do. I've been called to help people and pour into them, right? Yep. And what I loved about that was uh, when they needed an education leader, right? I became the education leader. So I'm putting things together. And I was to tell Dan, to the day I tell people, I'm one of the biggest thieves in the world. I will steal anything from right society and i would bring it to the church if i knew that we could uh, make it work for us so yeah 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 these same little these had these little four corner briefings that you would brief you know higher leaders with right here's right. the um the problem here's the challenge here's the resources needed and here's the next steps hmm. and i would bring that stuff into ministry and be like here what's the challenge What's the resources? What's the problem? Yep, and what's yep. the next step? And I would just incorporate all those things into the kingdom. And they were just funny because people were like, man, you this thing is like a well-oiled machine. And it was good, Dan, because I was able to take myself out of the picture whenever yeah. the pastor needed me to do something different and they can continue on that journey. So education director then moved on to um, be the leader of the ministers, teaching on uh, leadership training. And then my pastor wanted to do a cup, um, small group Bible studies. And it was like, hey, we want to do something different. And that's when she approached my wife and I said, hey, would you be the leaders of our couple's Bible study? Mm. And I wish I could tell you, Dan, that I was like jumping for joy and <laughs> count me in. But part of me was, I'm going to have to be transparent there. We're going to yeah, bring yeah. some of our things there. And yeah. Yeah, my wife was like, you know, I was always told, keep your business, you know, to yourself. Yeah, yeah. But after we prayed on it, you know, and again, both of our faith, right, is built on, you know, the Lord. So we both said, no, let's do this. And uh, just a very rewarding time, seven years teaching a couple of Bible study every week. And like you said, digging deep dealing with that pride, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's my wife words, not me, uh, <laughs> talking to the wives about not being a nagger, right? Yeah. And um, it was just a great experience because, like you said, you had a lot of people to really just focus on themselves and not focus on the other person. Yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. I really appreciate that, Daryl. You know, I can sit here and talk to you all night. Uh, you really could. Uh, but I was just thinking, you know, as we're kind of winding this down, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we have a lot of things going on in our, our world today. Right. And uh, you've had a perspective that most people haven't because you've served for this country. Um, 
And, you know, and I'm not going to turn this into a political because I don't want that. No, no, I just, that. I, I want right. people to, this isn't about what's right and what's wrong. It's how do we, how do we, what would your recommendation be to people that are just looking at the world today and, it, and we're having this constant bickering back and forth and, mm-hmm. and really what would you do to, how would you encourage folks today to just, to rise above it, to find, to find their hope and to bridge the, the divide? No, that's a great question. And I'm actually probably one of um, a select few individuals that can really speak to this because the nature of the White House Education Agency is we were supporting the office of the president, Dan. Mm. It didn't matter if it was a Democrat, it didn't matter if it was a Republican, right? All of our commanders will let everybody know, like, when there was a change of administration, it's like, guys, don't forget why you're here and what you're here to do, right? right? We, don't, we don't get caught up in the political piece. Yes, you can have that mindset, but do not let that get in the way of our brotherhood, our sisterhood, our camaraderie. Mm. And I can honestly tell you, out of my 15 years supporting the Washington Exist Agency, even though somebody may have felt a certain way, when we got on those missions, Dan, it was all about that person to your left, that person to your right. And I've seen it happen, Dan. Now, granted, when people retired, they got on Facebook, you can kind of see yeah, you yeah. Know, where their allegiance were. And, and that's okay because that's what we're a, a free country. Yeah. But, I, but I've seen it where people can work um, together, right, for the common good. Hmm. So that's my message to anybody. Even today, people say, well, you used to work for the presidents. You know, what do you, you know, what do you think? And I just go back to my own stories of, we figured out, again, why are we here? And we looked at, okay, what are those things that we do have in common, mm. right? Because there's, depending on how you look at the glass, you can look at all the things that you don't have in common, or you can look at all the things that you do have in common. Yeah. Yeah. So let's choose to look at those things that we do have in common, and then let's figure out where can we go from there? What challenge can we tackle? And... Um, some people is like, yeah, but I want to do this. I want to do that. And it kind of goes back to that saying about the elephant, right? You can't eat it whole. You just got to eat it a little piece at a time. And yeah. I always tell people, you know, just look at where you are, what you have control over, what's within your circle of influence, and then find those that are like-minded that want to help out, whether it's education, nursing, um, community, whatever it is, find, you know, find out who those people are and say, hey, I can bring this to the table. Dan, I've, I've worked with him before. He's a great speaker, right? He can bring this to the table. And then you just find out, okay, what are what is everybody's gifts? And then let's put some common events together, some things that we can do together. And let's just tackle that one little thing that we all are passionate about that we believe can just make this world a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. One of the things um, I... I'm a certified as a part of the John Maxwell team. And so John Maxwell, awesome. so John Maxwell wrote a recent book and it's called change your world. And the reason it, it, he calls it change your world, because you just mentioned it, it's your sphere of influence. It's your world. Yes. Right. And mm-hmm. today, if we would just begin to make those subtle t- changes in our world, which is in our own homes, right. Yep. And get that right. Get that working good. Then take the step out into your communities, you know, and into your sphere of influence that you have. 
we all are wanting to tackle the big thing. Like we're going to change the whole government structure and that ain't going to happen, but you can make a change if you begin to address your world. It's, It's a fact. And I can honestly say every person that's worked for me, that's come in contact with me and other leaders that I've, um, work with, um, that's one of the first things I tell them is don't try to look at the big picture because the big yeah. picture will paralyze you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just look at what's that one little thing that you can get at, right? That's that one little thing that you can do to help your team. And then just like you said, just take it from there and then see where life takes you, right? Yeah. Sometimes we get in the way of life and it's like, uh, no, I didn't tell you to go there. I just told you to just stick in this lane. Because this lane is eventually going to take you to a place where you can have, like you said, more influence and more impact. Yeah, no, that's so good. Well, Daryl, I'm going to put some notes up on this on this show that's going to let people know how to get a hold of you. But just to, do you um, do you go out around the country if people are looking to bring you in to talk or anything like that? And- um, I do. I try not to do as much because I still have um, high school kids, right? Yep. But definitely. Um, one of the good things about COVID, which it brought out, you know, the virtual speaking exactly. tools, right? Yep, <laughs> so yep. anybody that wants to bring me into their organization or their church or, you know, whatever it is, I'm definitely um, open to do that because as people hopefully have heard on this show that um, I don't do it for the money, right? I really want to make an impact in this world. Um, I had one podcast I did before and they were like, we always ask this one final question, Right. Um, you know, what do you want said about you, right? Either, I don't know if it was like on your tombstone or yeah, yeah. at your whatever. And I would tell them that's an easy one for me. I want to be able to, you know, be able to say that whatever gift I had, right? I use every one of them to the fullest and I entered into heaven. I have nothing left. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I left it all there and, um, and it made somebody's life better. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, and you, you know, this as well, it's when we get there and we want to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. Yes. You know, and, and that's the, and that is the servant's journey, right? That's it. That is (laughs) why we are, we are servant leaders, Dan. Exactly. That's (laughs) it. That's it. Well, Daryl, I really am. uh, Again, I appreciate your time and I thank you for joining this podcast. I know the listeners have got a great uh, are going to enjoy this as well and, and have it, so, had a good time with you. So I'll put your st- stuff on, uh, on the show notes and we're going to share this out. And just a reminder for those of you who are listening to this podcast, we do sh- put this up on YouTube. So if you want to uh, go back and watch it, uh, you are more than welcome to, but everybody stay faithful and stay hopeful.